Hey, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here with Trevor today. How are you feeling, Trevor? Uh, I feel good. I feel like Orson Welles in a wine commercial. How do you feel? I feel like a uh, crisp dollar bill as a bookmark. Ooh. High roller. Yeah, a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, more more just... than the book's usually worth. But uh... what are, like Actually, what you're saying right now reminds me of like, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I won't reveal too much of my finances, but I have like a savings account that gets, you know, monthly interest. Obviously, mm-hmm. lots of us have that. Uh, some of us have that, if you're fortunate enough. And uh, I uh, sometimes I compute like the value because like interest is always nothing, right? It's like 25 oh, cents. Yeah, a savings account's awful. Yeah, it's like nothing. And sometimes when I compute the interest, like what gets deposited after like a month or maybe even like six months or something like that, I'm like, hey, I bought used books for less. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, still I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you can just view it that way. That helps. Nice. But anyways, you know, been a couple weeks. We're We're getting a little bit better, getting back to like a regular... <laughs> bi-weekly schedule this but... Is, but yeah bi-weekly well i guess it's wednesday where we're what is what is the fancy term for a week and a half i don't know bi-weekly is there is there one una una half weekly <laughs> something like that yeah but yeah back to it you know reading through the uh harsh winter yes that Although you're it's not, not harsh experiencing yeah <laughs> at all bastard uh but anyways i've got a new segment this week something i thought up mm. it's a new segment alert i've got uh and yeah i usually name them and this one's kind of dumb but it's and introducing and it's just introducing so the end of something Sort of. I just named it after an album that I like uh, by DJ Shadow. It's a good one. But nice DJ Shadow. <laughs> it's it's a people who know. If you know, you know. But DJ um, Shadow sounds like something that's like made up in Thirty Rock or something. <laughs> it does. Uh, but yeah, introducing and it's what do you know? It's introducing. So you know we've done what like 60 something episodes now yeah this is episode 68 yeah but we've barely scratched the surface of the literary world because you know only 60 some episodes and so many more authors to talk about and we've even doubled up sometimes tripled up in your case i did triple up yeah yeah you know authors new and old there's so much to cover so i thought a good segment would be for me to instead of just Instead of waiting until I read, you know, one of the new authors, one of the undiscovered authors, you know, I would I would highlight one of the authors that I felt pretty confident we had never read before. Okay. And, you know, maybe give a little nudge to you, uh, to myself, or maybe our listeners to check them out based on just uh, an introduction. Okay. So let me start off. Introduce uh, me some. Yeah. So every year, probably more accurately every season, or maybe like maybe eight to ten times a year, there's a hot new show on Netflix or streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably you know accelerating to higher numbers every year. 
But what would you say is the hot show right now? I think you're going to start talking about Bridgerton. Uh, okay. Wait, I'm going to have to <laughs> rewind then. That's just proof that it's, that it's happening too fast. What was the hot show two months ago? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, two months? That's like, it, it, you can't calculate two months in pandemic time. No one okay. knows what that is. What two was months the one ago, right before Bridgerton? I don't know, dude. There was like one like... No, that was HBO. Um, hmm. You're not watching a lot of Netflix? No, give me a hint. Chess. Oh, Queen's Gambit. Yeah, yeah. See, that was how was it? Was it even last year? It probably was like winter, fall, winter time. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so that one heard a lot about. It was, it's, I think it's still very popular and was getting some buzz around the uh, award season. It was just, you know, we're currently in. But uh, did you know that, like everything else, that was based on a book? Did not. Yeah, me neither. But I've got an article here that I stumbled upon, uh, and actually in print in the newspaper, but from the Denver Post. That still happens? Yeah. Denver Post introduced me to Walter Tevis, Mm. the author of The Queen's Gambit, which is a 1983 novel. Nice. And, you know, I didn't know anything about this guy, but I was surprised to see how much of his stuff made it to the big screen. Like, it's very recognizable. He's like a mini, mini Stephen King in that respect. Mm. You know, he's so, rolling in the uh, copyright, though. Yeah, yeah. So check this lineup out. Uh, we got 1959's The Hustler. Heard okay. of that one? It's no. the story of a small time pool hustler, Fast Eddie which was made into a movie in 1961 starring Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason. Interesting. So, you know, that's a, that's a, some big names right there, but you'll, you'll know more when I, uh, when I talk about the sequel, but uh, there was also 1963's the man who fell to earth. Ooh, you know that one? Of course. Yeah. Bowie. Yeah. So it's an alien. It's about an alien who lands in the Southwest United States looking for a new home for his people. And actually, that means that I, uh, you know, I haven't done him on the podcast, but that does mean that I've read his book because I read The Man That Fell to Earth. Oh, you did? Yeah. It was weird. It was like at, when I went to school, like that we had like a film library that had like really good, you know, like all the best DVDs and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think the man who fell to earth has some sort of DVD release where it's like the DVD and the book. Oh, really? Like in one case. So that's pretty, yeah. that's, that should happen more often. It should happen more often. Yeah. Cause you can just slip a DVD. It could fit it right inside the book jacket. Mm-hmm. That that's, I think you're onto something, uh, but onto something that's already exists. But, uh, so I didn't know that this guy was like a science fiction writer. Cause like, mm-hmm. you think the queen's gambit, I kind of like sort of know what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, but or do you, know, you, I guess I, I mean, I, I probably, <laughs> I probably don't. I just know the bare bones. It's about chess mm-hmm. and this woman who is, I guess she probably, loses everything or loses something and you know (laughs) (laughs) something like that and goes through an emotional change yeah and (laughs) and just dominates the chess circuit or something i'm not sure but i didn't i didn't see like 
you know, there's a lot of authors who kind of stick to one genre. And uh, I wouldn't have guessed that the author of that book also was like into sci-fi. Right. And, you know, people say about The Man Who Fell to Earth, it's like a very good science fiction novel. And it's kind of like a parable of the Cold War. Like, um, but also kind of an existential book, like uh, about loneliness, about Christianity, uh, you know, and a apparently a lot of his books are tied to his life as I guess an alcoholic mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people talked about that as a, a representation of like alcoholism feeling like a, like an alien. Mm. Uh, next up on his bibliography, not made into a film yet, but listen to this, the summary here, the steps of the sun is a 1983 science fiction novel about a future energy crisis and a world in which China has become the leading superpower. Mm. So he was on to something. Interesting. It's also funny. It's funny to hear that uh, like his like bibliography has been made into, you know, m movies and, and that kind of stuff multiple times because I happen to know I think my sister sent me something about how the Queen's Gambit was like originally like like they tried to bring it TV to TV for like something like 20 or 30 years or something. Yeah. And it, and it was rejected by like, I think, like more networks than you can imagine, like something like <laughs> 15 or 20 networks. And it's like, are there even that many networks? Yeah, I mean, uh, that it's interesting that he that that had happened because he had all this kind of success with other stuff. I mean, I guess I the think, man who fell to earth wasn't that big, but I got the, the next one that you'll, you'll recognize uh, the next one. Oh my God. There's another one. Yeah. Yeah. So the steps of the sun was 1983 Queens gambit was also 1983. So that's like a peak year for him. But then 1984, he wrote the color of money, which was Ooh. a sequel to the hustler directed by Scorsese, starring Paul Newman and uh, Tom Cruise. And uh, he won, a, I believe he won an Oscar for this one. Nice. Yeah, I think the main thing about The Queen's Gambit was just like, like network after network and executive after executive being like a thing about chess. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chess is boring. <laughs> you know, I mean, I haven't watched it yet, but... It seems like they've made it uh, not boring. A podcast and about reading? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the article that I had um, talks about how like it's you know spawned a whole bunch of new chess players and all that. So mm. it's pretty cool. But so for all these hits and like all this success, I was surprised I'd never heard of Walter Tevis. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd like to read a section from the article now to give some, some more background on the author. Go for it. Tevis was a family man who played board games and fished with his kids, a popular professor of writing and literature at Ohio University in Athens, a cat lover and a movie aficionado, and a talented amateur chess and pool player. So there, there you go. He was, <laughs> he just wrote about his life. Um, he was pale and gangly. Some of his students called him Ichabod Crane. He was also a three pack a day smoker, a serious gambler and an alcoholic who made several suicide attempts. Three packs a day? It's like, where do you find the time? That, yeah, that's insane. 
That's like two at a time. <laughs> his, uh, his fiction often plums his psyche metaphorically. He's the hero of all his own books, says his son, Will Tevis, 66, before correcting himself. He's the anti-hero. Tevis considered his terrain to be the world of underdogs. I write about losers and loners, he told the New York Times in 1983. If there's a common theme in my work, in my work that's it. I invented the phrase born loser in The Hustler. In one way or another, I'm obsessed with the struggle between winning and losing. Tevis was born in San Francisco into what he called a feelingless, uptight home. His parents were moved to Kentucky when he was 10. Because young Walter had a heart condition, his parents left him behind in a convalescent home where he spent months drugged on phenobarbital, barbital, like Beth Harmon, the main character in The Queen's Gambit. In an essay published in 1990, Tevis's first wife, Jamie, wrote, he never got over the scars of the early experience with narcotics. Tevis believed that early experience fueled his later alcoholism. When he left California to rejoin his family, Tevis found his new environment bewildering. In a 1981 interview, he said that the man who fell to earth about an alien who lands in Kentucky and can't adjust to life on this planet was a disguised autobiography. And then it uh, also says Tevis gave the movie version of The Man Who Fell to Earth a C plus, calling it confusing. But when he met David Bowie, he found him to be a wonderful man. <laughs> There's a perk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, sounds like an interesting. I mean, he wrote. It seems to have used his, uh, you know, leveraged his experience a lot in his books, but made it kind of into interesting stories which author doesn't leverage their experiences makes you wonder about some of the more outlandish things that authors write about yeah <laughs> yeah where it comes from mm -hmm. so yeah walter tevis that's the introduction and i'm challenging you next episode to uh introduce introduce us to another Author. Whoa, you get a freebie intro because yeah. uh, you're challenging me into from the next one. Yep. All right. Challenge accepted. Awesome. All Good right. Luck. Well, you're first up. All right. Uh, so the book that I read this week came to me through music. Mm. I was listening. I was listening to that. The uh, album "Ordinary Corrupt Human Love" by uh, Deaf Heaven. Yep. Uh, the title of which was inspired by Graham Greene's 1951 novel "The End of the Affair." Okay. But that's not the one I read. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next step on the ladder. Yeah. But anyways, uh, what do the words "whiskey priest" mean to you? What do you picture? Who do you picture? What is it? What's a whiskey I, priest? I picture a priest that, you know, stands at the pulpit, like giving his sermon, but then like the, you know, the camera sort of pans down and there's like little drawers behind the pulpit. And then there's just like a full glass of whiskey waiting for him. <laughs> that's, that's what I picture. It's like okay. he, he pre pours it before this like before church even begins and it's waiting there for when they everyone leaves <laughs> why do you think it's specifically whiskey i don't know because i don't think a beer priest works i don't think 
a gin priest sounds <laughs> that good. A gin priest would be okay in the UK. Uh, a a beef eater priest. priest. <laughs> a beef eater gin. I hate that uh, stuff. No, I don't know. Yeah, I guess priests just drink whiskey. Who I mean, I guess that kind that kind of works. But so okay, so whiskey priest. If you look it up, it's a bar and grill in Belleville, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, it's also sort of a stock character archetype of like, just like you said, you know, a priest or an ordained minister, you know, someone involved in the church who shows clear signs of moral weakness mm-hmm. while at the same time teaching a higher standard. It's nice. a little bit of a hypocrite, someone with their, uh, you know, dealing with their own sins, but if trying you... to help others. And if you haven't seen it, this archetype can be found in one of the best movies. I think one of the best movies I've ever seen first reformed. If you've never seen it. Oh, I've been meaning to watch that for a long time. That's uh, go Hawk, right? Go Ethan find Hawk. your whiskey priest, my friend. Okay. Yep. That is same, same writer as a uh, taxi driver. And he, and he also directed uh, wow. first reformed. Okay. That's, that sounds great. Um, He's amazing. Some other examples, uh, Father Callahan from Stephen King's Dark Tower series, the one we're all about. Nice. Uh, Have you seen The Night of the Hunter? No. What? What? That's that's (laughs) one that I always hear about of like film school art, art, like it's an art film. It's shot so beautifully. It's black and white, but Harry Powell as uh, the main character for the movie The Night of the Hunter. And, you know, he's like, uh, he's a whiskey priest, I guess. Nice. So, you know, you get the idea. But uh, also the main character from my book this week, I'm pretty sure invented the term and invented the, probably didn't invent the the character type, but at least gave it the whiskey priest name. And that's from 1940s The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene. All right, so you had a Graham Greene book, and when you looked up the Deaf Heaven thing, then you said, oh, I have one of his books. Yeah. Okay. I figured it was time to to crack into it. Nice. So I guess let me set the scene here. Uh, We're in a remote part of Mexico, southern Mexico. The socialist state of uh, the 1930s Mexico has outlawed the Catholic Church. Hey, is that true? Is that like a thing? Uh, yeah, it was actually going on in, in certain parts of uh, Mexico during the 30s. And it's based on, you know, leveraging. Graham Greene leveraged his life experience. So so the socialist state has outlawed the Catholic Church. Priests are seen as traitors to the state. You know, they're, they try and catch them and they're, you know, executed or charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's based on real events in the 30s in southern Mexico. In the southern Mexican state of uh, Tabasco during the time of Governor Thomas Garrido Cannibal. Hmm. Uh, so Green was actually there during this sort of era uh, on an assignment as a journalist. And so he, you know, wrote this book because of it. And he also credited it, credited it with his becoming a Catholic. Interesting. And that's, that's one of the things that Graham Green, I guess, is known known for a lot. Uh, that he wrote a lot of like religious kind of themed novels. I think he had like three big ones that were like 
some of his more famous works were like revolve around religion. Hmm. But anyways, our our whiskey priest, our character, he's the last one left in the area. He's been hiding in different villages, you know, performing his priestly duties on the sly. Hmm. Just kind of an interesting thing. And that's, you know, that's what's kind of maybe driving him to drink and, you know, making, you know, he's always kind of looking over his shoulder and he's, some people support him, some people don't, like, you know, some people are trying to, people he runs across, like, want to keep him safe. And some are like, you know, get the hell out of here. Uh, so we got our whiskey priest. And there's also a police lieutenant. The other main character is after him. You know, trying to hunt him down. He's asking villagers, threatening villagers, you know, got to gotta catch this guy before he can get to the border. Weird. Think like uh, The Fugitive or Enemy of the State or right. a bunch of, bunch of other movies, you know. Mm-hmm. And so this whiskey priest is an interesting character because he's an early type of anti-hero. You know, he hasn't been good to his family. Uh, he's an alcoholic, obviously. He knows that his kind of holy man image is just a facade. And, you know, sometimes he just wants to be caught and executed and just be done with it, kind of. So how do you think that sounds <laughs> as a novel? It sounds pretty cool right like it's yeah it's like a cat and mouse kind of thing catch me cat, if you can cat and mouse with a drunken priest yeah yeah <laughs> does it ever become like a fa- i would think that you know that those the combination of those two lifestyles like i'm on the run and i'm an alcoholic priest would like be at odds <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it, de- it definitely makes for an interesting story right uh so i'm a big western fan and this novel, you know, it's centered mostly around religion, but it appealed to me in the sense that it is like, it feels like a Western at times, you know? Okay. It's, it's an interesting twist on like the law versus the outlaw because it's, yeah, it's, it's weird that it's about religion. And uh, so I want to read one of my highlights. Did that... you read, did you cover Dog of the South on the podcast? Am I making that up in my mind? Uh, I didn't. I covered masters of atlantis instead by charles charles portis but this story is like reminding me of dog of the south but yeah continue uh so yeah i want to read one of my highlights that kind of gives you an idea of like the anxiety of following this guy around Mm -hmm. like i said he's the mouse okay the police are on the way They are only a mile off, coming through the forest. This is what he was used to, the words not striking home, the hurried clothes, the expectation of pain coming between him and his faith. He said stubbornly, Above all, remember this, heaven is here. Were they on horseback or on foot? If they were on foot, he had twenty minutes left to finish mass and hide. Here now, at this minute, your fear and my fear are part of heaven, where there will be no fear any more forever. He turned his back on them and began very quickly to recite the credo. There was a time when he had approached the canon of the mass with actual physical dread, the first time he had consumed the body and blood of God in a state of mortal sin. But then life bred its its excuses. It hadn't after a while seemed to matter very much, whether he was damned or not, so long as these others... He kissed the top of the packing case and turned to bless. 
In the inadequate light, he could just see two men kneeling with their arms stretched out in the shape of a cross. They would keep that position until the consecration was over. One more mortification squeezed out of their harsh and painful lives. He felt humbled by the pain ordinary men bore voluntarily. His pain was forced on him. O Lord, I have loved the beauty of thy house. The candles smoked and the people shifted in their knees. An absurd happiness bobbed up in him again before anxiety returned. It was as if he had been permitted to look in from the outside at the population of heaven. Heaven must contain just such scared and dutiful and hunger-lined faces. For a matter of seconds, he felt an immense satisfaction that he could talk of suffering to them now without hypocrisy. It is hard for the sleek and well-fed priest to praise poverty. He began the prayer for the living. The long list of the apostles and martyrs fell like footsteps. Corneli, Cipriani, Laurenti, Criscone. Soon the police would reach the clearing where his mule had sat down under him and he had washed in the pool. The Latin words ran into each other on his hasty tongue. He could feel impatience all around him. He began the consecration of the host. He had finished the wafers long ago. It was a piece of bread from Maria's oven. Impatience abruptly died away. Everything in time became a routine but this. Who the day before he suffered took bread into his holy and venerable hands? Whoever moved outside on the forest path, there was no movement here. He could hear the sigh of breaths released. God was here in the body for the first time in six years. When he raised the host, he could imagine the faces lifted like famished dogs. He began the consecration of the wine in a chipped cup. That was one more surrender. For two years, he had carried a chalice around with him. Once it would have cost him his life if the police officer who opened his case had not been a Catholic. It may very well have cost the officer his life if anybody had discovered the evasion. He didn't know. You went round making God knew what martyrs, um, God knew what martyrs when you yourself were without grace enough to die. So yeah, Graham Greene is a pretty interesting author. I think the way that he I think writes, my, I think my depiction in my mind of what a whiskey priest is was pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that part. Like when it, towards the beginning of what you're reading, the part where you're saying like at first it seemed like su like such a guilty like thing, like oh I'm gonna do this drunk, and then eventually he's like yeah it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean he's kind of uh, he's been up against it for eight years, kind of you know it's really it's really getting to him at this point. That's why he like sometimes he wants to give up. But yeah, um, I will say I, I liked the book. It definitely wasn't my favorite. Here's the thing. Green himself thought it was his best. Interesting. But you know how that works. It's always the stuff that people love that the artist hates and the stuff that the artist thinks is, you know, a masterpiece that is not so, you know? Yep. Uh, that, yeah. That's always, that, that's always I, the I case, I think I right? said that previously about... Um... Uh, what back when I was like really into Faulkner and trying to read like like you know a lot of him, and then I remember reading something about him saying that like Fable is my masterpiece, and then when I read Fable, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> that was the one I was trying. But to I also to wonder. Think. I also wonder if sometimes like you know like when a new like album is coming out from a band that you love or whatever. And it's like, what's the best album? And it's like the new one, you know, please, <laughs> please go buy it. Please buy it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's our best work, best album yeah. yet. Yeah. But I mean, I think he said that in retrospect, though. Yeah. Of like, because this was a very early on book of his. I don't know. But apparently, you know, I'm reading the reviews and stuff, and I don't think I can be done with Green after this because when I read the reviews, apparently he has a lot of other books that are more well liked by the sample of reviews that I read. <laughs> That's all I got. But, uh, for example, the ones I saw that I'm going to look into at some point were uh, Brighton Rock, The Third Man, The Quiet American, The Comedians, and Our Man in Havana. And that last one I've definitely heard about. And also The End of the Affair uh, from the Deaf Heaven album. But I do have a one-star review here from Maddie Gallo, who says, sad to say, one of the single worst ex reading experiences of my entire life. I did not, <laughs> I did not enjoy any aspect of reading this book and found no redeeming values. I thought the story, characters, style, plot, and structure were all boring, tedious, badly done, and meaningless. I hated this book. Wow. So there you go. Bringing out the uh, lots of commas for that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Graham Greene's The Power and the Glory from 1940. Nice. Some people have to read it for school. Really? From what I saw, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I don't know what grade or what <laughs> curriculum, but I saw some people talk about talking about it as like a book they had to read. Interesting. Cool. All right, Whiskey Priest. Yeah. Cool. Um, what do you so, got? So yeah, I'm psyched about my book this week, and one of the reasons why I'm psyched is there's just a lot of reasons why. Like, it's kind of one of those things. It's definitely a book um, that it's like, okay, finally I read something by this author. So they've been kind of lingering around, and I also like how I came upon, you know, eventually uh, getting to read this author, but. Um, the first thing that I'm going to do is kind of spring on you. I'm going to, I'm going to put a spotlight on you. You're in the spotlight. Uh, you know, I didn't tell you about this beforehand, but just from a name, tell me about what you would think about the author of my book this week named, uh -oh. named George Sand. What does that bring to mind? George Sand. What kind of, I don't know what kind of name sand is <laughs> sand george sand uh he's somewhere on the coast mm -hmm. um george though george sand hmm. yep so is he a coastal british author <laughs> <laughs> i've never even heard of this guy british um, no not british uh, it's just funny that you would uh, say, oh, George, you must be British. George. So am I right or wrong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're wrong in so many ways. <laughs> Damn. George. Is it, uh, is it a woman like uh, George Eliot? So now you're getting a little bit warmer. Okay. Uh, and she's from somewhere not in England. Uh <laughs> 
George Sand. Is it right. is it not Sande or something like that? No, no, no. Yeah, I, I'll turn the spotlight off. You're, okay, you're, no you're idea. Done. Please turn it off. It's burned. You're done. You're done. You're no longer in the spotlight. But you did kind of hit on something, you know, after giving you a hint that it's interesting that George Sand is a woman. And George Sand was originally born. I don't even know how to properly spell her name. I'm sure I'll, I mean, say her name. Amantine Arori Dupin. And she's a French author. Oh, okay. So you're a few hundred or a few thousand miles off there. Um, so who is George Sand? The reason why I'm like really psyched to cover um, this book and the book that I read is the first book that she published on, as like a solo writer. She had done some collaborations um, with other people. But this is the first book. It's called Indiana. And the reason why I was like so psyched to uh, like finally read George Sand is because um, she has quite a fan base. And the fan base that I'm referring to is actually other famous novelists in her lifetime. Okay. So she, you know, like I said, Born Amantine Aurore Dupin. She was born in 1804 and died in 1876. And the novel that I read, uh, Indiana, is published in 1832. So in a way, I'm kind of going back into, you know, that era that I'm finding so fascinating of like the, the whole like, you know, 1830s to eight, like late 1800s, like Balzac is like yeah. in this same category. Um, okay. and there are there are some similarities, but what's interesting, and like I said, she has quite a fan base, is that George Sand, uh, you know, the pen name of Amantine, is uh, you know, among her vocal um, people who praised her are none other than her contemporary, Balzac himself, um, Victor Hugo, you know him, who, read, who wrote Les Mis, Les Mis. Yeah. He gave the eulogy at her funeral. Wow. And okay. I also first, very first, wrote George Sand down, like in a notebook, like a long time ago, underlined the name George Sand, because uh, he or she <laughs> is mentioned in Proust, He's, you know, he like was a fan of hers and okay. also wrote, uh, he wrote, he writes like in the first book in, in his novel, uh, Swan's Way that he was reading a George Sand novel. So I was like, oh, he's like definitely like, you know, doing that thing. Um, Flaubert was also a fan. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically there was like all these people in, in French literary society that was like, oh yeah, Amantine, like. AKA pen name George Sand, total badass. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of interesting. Also, there's like weird, you know, you how much can you know about someone's life? I didn't do like a huge, like deep dive into her biography, but it was like, you know, she was obviously submitting under a pen name to be like, you know, taken seriously as like a male author and disguising her, her um, sex, but also, you know, she did stuff like there were there was a trend apparently in in nineteenth century French society where women would uh, wear men's clothes, but you had to like 
have a permit for it like so it's like stupid you know it's like it's like you have to have a permit to wear trousers if you're like a you know crippled or something but <laughs> she she did it without a permit you know she was like a badass who was like smoking cigars and she also re- uh briefly had a uh romantic relationship with the composer chopin wow, okay. <laughs> so she's uh she's like you know on the scene yeah um and she's really cool so basically, uh, the book that I read, um, you know, like I said, her first published novel and, and one of her most popular kind of like, okay, like she comes onto the scene, you know, oh, I'm not collaborating with anyone anymore. This is like my first like novel. Um, and she, it, it, it's like interesting because I found a lot, like some similarities between Balzac. I didn't, I'm not saying that I liked uh, Indiana as much as some of the Balzac that I've read, but there were some interesting similarities and also just like kind of, I think it goes with like the flow of learning about novels, like in, in this particular time period. Um, what's cool about George Sand is that she, um, it was so fun not only to read this book just because it was like a pretty decent book, but also because knowing the context is like half the fun. Like now, you know, reading, um, you know, reviews from back then, like the I have an Oxford Classics edition and in the, in the on the back it says uh, one of the like quotes of praise for it you know from 1832 is indiana is the story of modern passionate love a veritable story of the feminine heart but that person who wrote that didn't know that he was talking about a female author you know yeah like all these like different kind of things um maybe he did know that he was talking about a female author but it's like kind of interesting just because you know like one thing that i have uh you know marked off in my book here to read on the podcast was like you know, here's the end of one of uh, her sentences, page 45 in my edition. It is the strength of our desires, the impetuous, uh, impetuosity, impetuosity. It is the strength of our desires, the impetuosity of our love, which makes us stupid in our relations with women. So she's like kind of writing, you know, as a man, mm-hmm. but she's a woman. So there's stuff like that throughout the entire book where it's like, she, like assuming like, hour and you know and oh like women are crazy aren't they haha wink wink kind of thing like that um there's also some really kind of cool stuff in this book just because like in terms of the lens of like 2020 2021 like the wokeness factor of like there's a lot of cool stuff in here of like a woman kind of disguising her identity but then like talking shit about like privileged men and stuff like that (laughs) um so i'll read a quick paragraph Uh, I thought that this like was very fitting for the times. What man is so ungrateful to Providence as to reproach it with the misfortunes of others if it has had only smiles and benefits for him? How could one persuade these young supporters of constitutional monarchy that the Constitution was already out of date and that it was a burden on the body politic and wearied it when they found it weighted lightly on them and they reaped only its advantages? Who believes in poverty when he has no experience of it? And then a few paragraphs later, he possessed the rare ability of refuting established facts. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Um, So like lots of kind of stuff in there of like interesting, like, oh, like, you know, there's almost like a, you know, sort of 2020 language of like, this is like enter male privilege, (laughs) you know, like, like this kind of stuff is like really good. Um, 
And it was, you know, it was really nice. Like the novel itself to get into the actual plot, I thought was like decent. It's basic, like love. It's kind of like a romanticized, like romanticism slash realism slash idealism kind of thing where uh, it's kind of, it's basically like a love triangle. There's this woman, Indiana Del Nair, and okay, she, I was wondering where the title came from. Yeah, the, it's the character's man, main uh, uh, first name. Okay. So Indiana Delmare is somebody who is a young woman who's married to like an old man, which was very sort of common in uh, French society. If you've never, if uh, if anyone listening or you, Mark, haven't seen it, Portrait of a Woman on Fire is a really good book from, uh, I mean, a really good movie from like only like one or two years ago about, uh, you know, in French society, like basically women were like, promised in marriage up until mm-hmm. like the in like the 19th century and stuff and portrait of a woman on fire is a really good movie about that um but so she's like kind of in this marriage old man yes she like quote unquote loves him but has always had like secret sort of like one day i will be in true love kind of thing going on and um that true love entering her life is sort of the story of this of this uh of this book so enter um uh what's his name raymond de ramier ramier is a handsome heartless young rake who ends up being the lover of indiana and a practical seeker of wealth um i read that from wikipedia by the way (laughs) and uh no, so basically there's this guy, Raymond, and uh, we actually, we have another, we have a podcast that I follow a little bit on Twitter, and I know you know about them, Mark, uh, literary, uh, fuckboys of literature. Mm-hmm. So oh, this guy, this he guy, sounds like it. this guy, Raymond de Ramier is like the, you know, epitome of a fuckboy of literature. Um, he's very sort of like, he's introduced by Sand in like kind of a way that draws you in and it's like, okay, like this guy, you know, maybe he'll be okay. Um but he kind of is somebody who he's one of those people where it's like he wholeheartedly like oh i actually do love this person but if anything is like hard or difficult for me he's also like a mama's boy who will just like slip out of it for his own you know selfish gain yeah um so what happens with raymond is that he enters indiana's life basically through you know provincial society it's this is in like the suburbs of paris so like they're in and out of paris and they're kind of just in like the suburbs and he enters into her life via he starts sleeping with her maid uh whose name is noon n-o-u-n like noun noon okay uh, so he sleeps with her maid and but then he starts to play this like double game of like, oh, I'm sleeping with the maid. But like the homeowner, uh, Indiana, is like super hot. So I'm going to start like kind of like going in that direction. And when his love falters for noon and spoilers here, people, I'm just going to spoil the whole book. But spoilers here is that noon basically when his love falters and she finds out kind of what's really going on she just like throws herself in a river and kills herself (laughs) so and in a way it's actually it's not really a mystery throughout the book but like there are hints that basically raymond like pushed her into the river like he was there that night but it's never clearly defined so oh my it's God, of, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. He sucks <laughs> hard. And we're not even, you know, right now we're in like part one and there's four parts. So uh, another person who's a factor in this book is in this sort of like love triangle or maybe love square is that 
um, Indiana has a cousin named Ralph, Sir Ralph, who is her husband's sort of like confidant and has been her childhood friend, you know, for all of her days. So uh, he's also there. And, um, you know, he's frequently kind of like at the house and all this other stuff. And he kind of knows that Raymond is a piece of shit, but he's also sort of like a stoic kind of you know, uh, Indiana's happiness comes before his own happiness. So even when Raymond's sort of like fucking around and trying to like, because after Noon dies, Raymond still stays on the scene and kind of like starts to make Indiana, like cheat. Indiana starts cheating on her husband with him or yeah. she like really wants to. It's kind of like that chaste sort of like romanticism where it's like, we're in love, but there's no like concrete, you know, it's not a, sure. you know, a, a Murakami novel where it's like, <laughs> like descriptions of them fucking sure um so yeah that's in the air and then eventually kind of what happens is you know when the going gets tough the tough get going is that uh indiana's husband kind of like starts to get sick and stuff like that and maybe it's like you know there's all this kind of like romanticized drama and everything like that but eventually what ends up happening is that Indiana's husband starts to kind of like lose his fortune. So it's like, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to move back to the island that Indiana is actually originally from. You know, like Creole, you know that? Like in the Caribbean. Creole okay, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Um, basically, I don't even know. I, I, I wasn't a good, this, that's why this is a shitty book report, but I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really look up where the island is that they like go back to, but eventually they're basically like, we're going back into like the, one of the colonized like French islands. Sure. Islands one of the French ones. Yeah. We're in trouble or whatever. So Saint Martin, uh, yeah. there's a few of them. So what ends up happening is that Indiana is totally like, Hey, I, I'm still in love with you, Raymond. Like, will you like eventually come with us? And he's like, and he kind of just plays that like fuckboy game of like writing her <laughs> nice letters and like doing all this other shit. And then eventually when she's on the island, he like she has like this fervent love for him. Like, oh, my God, he's so amazing. And I know that our life will work. Our life will work out, even though I had to move away. And he's doing all these things in France for me, blah, blah, blah. And then she has this really good way of like going into the next chapter where it's like Indiana's thoughts and then in the next chapter, it's like Raymond had pretty much forgotten about India. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, yeah, like, he's well, like my... making TikToks. Yeah, and exactly. Stuff. <laughs> so then, uh, what ends up happening is that she's away for like a year or whatever, and he gets fucking married. He like marries someone else, and he actually marries. This is like the whole like idealism kind of like taking it to the nth degree. He marries um, the like young. Um, daughter of the guy who comes in and buys indiana's house <laughs> so he's like oh like uh, someone moved into indiana's old house like let me go check it out and he's like well there's this like hot chick here so i'm totally gonna marry her so he marries her and then uh there's like this really crazy scene like totally over the top where indiana escapes the island which you know being like a like a kind of like a kept woman in french society it's like you know, she's like sacrificing her reputation to leave the island. Her husband will never take her back after this. And she gets back to her old house. Raymond's in the old house because he like lives there now because he basically like took over. And she is like the total crazy nut bitch who like comes in and she's like, oh, my God, I've here I am like your notes meant so much to me. And like now we're like reunited forever. And then this and then the like the new madam like comes out and she's like what the fuck are you doing? 
excuse me yeah like excuse me like please leave and then and then she's like you know totally kind of like in despair and wants to kill herself and blah blah, blah whatever um so yeah there's a lot of ups and downs but some of the things like some of the similar i didn't totally spoil everything but i spoiled most of it um but some of the similarities that i liked that i kind of picked up on with that whole like when i was saying that it's kind of like balzac is that it's interesting that she had this kind of same style that i've talked about before on the on the podcast where I don't know if you remember, but I think I told you like Balzac has this way of like giving you so much information about who thinks who about who thinks what about who and like all these different things where it's like you literally read like 20 pages or 30 pages of like this person thought this about this person and this person felt this about that person and like all these different things. And then the actual action happens in these short bursts, but you're so informed like yeah, you're yeah. so like it doesn't sort of, need to be so descriptive yeah you're so that's cool so that like that's like what this what like this book was where it would be like 20 pages of being like raymond's doing his own thing and indiana's doing his own thing and ralph has these like silent feelings over here and then it would then the big like quote-unquote climactic moment of the part like there's four parts would be like when raymond eventually does like try to sneak into the house at night to have a love affair and it's like Oh my God, like, you know, every little detail and every, and it, and it comes together well, because like when people say one little thing, it's like, oh shit, he really means this, <laughs> or, you know, oh, she really means that. And there's also a lot of really good stuff in here about like, some of those climactic moments are actually anticlimactic because of how stupid people are, like when they're kind of like in like fake love, like not real love, but like they're being like idealistic and, and kind of like you know flipping and stuff like that sure sure and and there's a few like conversations between raymond and indiana where it's like i love you i love you like so much like oh my god like you know take my blood like you know <laughs> my body is yours like blah 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 and then it's like a chapter cut and it'll be like and then and then like they you know didn't give a shit and he was mean and you know i hate him and <laughs> like <laughs> all this stuff and it's really it's kind of funny um Another thing that I found uh, like really interesting with this too is that the, uh, her like author style. So again, like drawing like a comparison to Balzac, you know that I don't like it when like the author is like, uh, you know, so gentle reader, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, like, sure. Stephen you King. Like that. Stephen King does it okay, but like Balzac is like very on the nose about it. The thing that I loved about George Sand is that her like asides like that were really funny and like good where it was like there is like a sort of context to this book where it feels like the author is like kind of telling you like um the story as, as somebody who was like kind of knew the rumors kind of thing sure. um, not an addressed character but kind of saying like you know there there are some like breaks of the fourth wall where it's like now i can't really say what raymond did on that night but i'm not <laughs> so sure he didn't push, push noon into the water you know that kind of thing <laughs> but she's really good at it like instead of kind of like saying like right on the nose like you know uh, if you're reading this like blah 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 whatever it's it's really good she'll kind of like do like a little bit of a character break and be like no i can't say for sure but what i heard <laughs> you know and, and and they're really funny and kind of and really good um so yeah i mean overall i was just so psyched to read george sand because of that extra layer to be honest i don't think you know like this would be the best book ever if i 
thought that George Sand was just George Sand, like a man from, you know, uh, from that era. But, you know, there was good stuff in there and it was easy to read. This is like a pretty short, uh, I think it's like just two. Oh, it's actually like 270. But yeah. I read it in like a week and a half or something like that. It's, it's, pretty, okay. it's pretty short. Yeah, I'm really curious about uh, her life now. It seems like there's a lot, uh, a lot of stories that could be told. Like oh, again, yeah. leveraging leveraging her experience. I wonder if there's like a a movie made about her life, or there might be um, a song to remember, or a song without end, and a British American film impromptu. Yeah, she's been portrayed by different people. I don't know if there's like a full biopic, but she's been yeah. portrayed by different people in different movies. But yeah, she's kind of like an original badass kind of thing. Yeah, yeah um but yeah it's, it's really good um i would highly recommend it especially given the historical context um and i do have a one but i do have a one-star review of course everyone has a has some sort of one-star review um so yeah, haters everywhere haters everywhere raymond on goodreads <laughs> <laughs> uh, really well Raymond in the book is Raymond. This might be Ramon R.A. Oh, okay. Okay. Raymond on Goodreads. Kind of he's, a kindred spirit. He says, one star. Why did I read this? I was suffocating to death during a heat wave in a shithole apartment in Paris, and I had food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So at least one person read this in a shithole apartment during a heat wave in Paris. Oh, my um, God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just, like misery read or anger read just because like you had no other options to kill time or something i think i have too many options available to me if i was super raging out i would probably like you know not be able to concentrate yeah i would pick something else but that's that's pretty funny (laughs) this guy like this guy like can't leave the bathroom for three days and just reads this book (laughs) yeah so good (laughs) so good um so yeah it's it's good it's funny it's like i said you get all that emotional context the historical context really glad that i eventually like i finally read george sand because that's something honestly i think i probably underlined george sound and Proust like probably more than five years ago just like yeah you know waiting to read something by the legendary george sand that's cool uh yeah so it was really good um but thanks for listening everybody this has been uh, Shitty Book Reports. You can find us mostly every week, every other week, every two weeks, whenever we feel like it, yep. um, wherever podcasts are not sold because this is free. Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, t- Stitcher. Is that one of them? Yep. yep, Stitcher. And you can also email us at sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks. See you next time.